Welcome to Beyond Trauma, a podcast from therapists for clients about the healing journey. We hope this will be a resource of encouragement, comfort, insight, and understanding for you along this courageous process. Welcome back to Beyond Trauma, a guide for your healing journey. This is episode three uh, called Finding Your Therapist um, in our season of Do I Need Therapy? Um, We are going to talk a little bit about um, what it's like once you're actually going to therapy and finding a therapist and and connecting with them um, and give you some practical ideas of what to keep in mind as well as some uh, relationship-based or attunement-based Uh, things to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. And before we get into that, we want to remind you guys to subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify or whatever platform you use so you make sure and don't miss an episode. We want to invite you to check out our Patreon. Um, It's a place where you guys can connect with us more and get access to a lot more resources, and we update that um, routinely with new things that we're doing. So find that at patreon.com backslash podcast. So yeah, we're going to get into our topic today, which we're really excited about. We want to talk with you guys about um, how to find a therapist that's the right fit for you. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of considerations about that. The first considerations are really practical ones. So um, I don't know if you guys want to talk about like what are the, you know, top things that people need to be considering when they're making that important decision. I think some of the first questions I get as a therapist are, are you currently taking clients? What's your rate, and do you accept my insurance? Mm-hmm. Um, those three always come bundled up because those are the first things we need to know yeah. practically when we're looking at yeah. investing mm-hmm. in, you know, it's it's a financial investment, and so looking at investing in this for ourselves, you want to know those those things. Um, so I think it's important to kind of screen out which therapists you can and can't work with on that practical level. We're going to get into it much deeper as far as what goes far beyond that. But some things you might want to consider is the location of that therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, how close are they in proximity to you and how easy is it for you to get to those sessions? If you're committing you know, weekly sessions or a large amount of time, You may or may not want to travel far for that. I'll tell you, I have personally worked with a therapist I've had to travel some for, and it was worth it Mm -hmm. because that was the right one for me. Um, So don't limit yourself to only people that are close to you. But if, you know, you're trying to take off work and just go in the middle of the day, that might be a practical consideration, you know, to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that question about you know money and insurance is usually one of the first ones, and I think that it's really really helpful for people to figure out can you afford this person for the long haul? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you select a therapist whose rate is not something that you're going to be able to do consistently, the you know the phrase that we use the lingo is continuity of care, right? We really want you to be able to have enough sessions that you meet the goals that you want and so you want to pick somebody and and pick a financial situation that you're going to be able to stick with yeah that can make that happen i think um it's easy for uh, people just in my experience to get discouraged with oh you're not on my insurance right um that doesn't necessarily mean that that's not a good decision for you to go with true i think that there are you know different therapists have different ways of making things work for people if they they agree that it'd be a good fit and that the time would be of use to both both parties. Um, and so it's not just a, if this box isn't checked, 
we need to find a different person. You know, right. there's some practical yeah. considerations to be had there too. Yeah. And if you find yourself, the idea of investing in therapy can be kind of overwhelming. Um, depending on where you're at listening to this podcast, rates can vary drastically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, anywhere from as low as $50 a session up to $200 a session, yeah. um, and even outside those parameters. So yeah. it's a big investment and it is a commitment. Um, but I think it's something I had to do some, even of my my own work of adjusting to that idea of what am I actually investing in with this? Mm -hmm. I don't walk out of that with anything in hand or um, to necessarily tangibly show for that, but it is worth the money that it costs, especially if you can find someone that you really connect with and feel like you're able to do the work you need to do with them. Um, So just kind of keep that in mind and that might be worth exploring with someone even at the very beginning is Mm -hmm. What is my resistance towards um, doing this kind of work or, or paying this kind of money consistently? Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a starting place to be exploring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point, Jen. Um, the other thing is to, to look at the kinds of therapy that yeah. the person is using, the therapist that you're considering. And a lot of people um, find therapists on things like Psychology Today or websites and Google searches, and usually a therapist will list out um, the kinds of modalities that they use or the kinds of issues that they specialize in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm going to share just a little bit of an opinion. I don't know what you guys think about that, but here's opinion. my opinion. Yeah, um, Opinion alert. Um, when, when you're looking at those profiles and looking at websites and things like that, there, there are kind of two tactics that therapists take in promoting themselves in that way. The one tactic is I can do everything. Right, I see couples, kids, teenagers, uh, senior population. I work with every issue under the sun, every diagnosis under the sun. I can do it all, right? And that makes sense. Um, but personally, when I'm doing this kind of research for you know family and friends that are looking for a therapist, I look for the people that have listed maybe like five to eight things, and that list is relatively short because yeah. to me that means oh they specialize yeah. in these things. We call it our niche. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so I don't know if you guys have thoughts about that or not but that's just kind of my preference and weeding out you know who do I really want to work with is somebody that is specializing in the issues that I'm coming in with absolutely and and knowing what does it mean to specialize in something like do they have specific training in that or experience in that what do they um how do they conceptualize that condition or disorder or issue um, and so being able to ask those questions before you're even going into those first sessions, mm-hmm. um, it's okay to interview a therapist. Yes. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> totally encouraged. And you don't have to walk into that room prepared to be interviewed yourself yeah. with your whole history. Start by interviewing them. And that could be through an email, a phone call, mm-hmm. a, an initial consultation, and just say, I'd like to spend this time getting to know you and your approach and what you focus on mm-hmm. and, you know, how we would work together. Yeah. That would be a very appropriate first step. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people sort of come to therapy having maybe been referred by a friend and, um, you know, told that you need this particular kind of therapy and mm-hmm. things like that. And so when you're having those conversations, if you ask a question like, are you trained in this particular therapy, um, know that there's going to be a wide range of answers there, depending on what kind of therapy we're talking about. Mm-hmm. A really easy example of that is CBT. 
So every therapist is trained to some degree in CBT because that's where our education usually focuses. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if you ask a therapist, are you trained in CBT? They're going to say yes, Um, but it's not real clear what that yes means. So go ahead and ask the next question, something like, um, is that something that you learned in school or have you taken training after that? There's also a lot of modalities where there's a specific training that you cannot practice this particular therapy if you haven't done that specific training. Advanced training. Advanced training. That's a good way of saying it. Things like that would be EMDR. Um, What are other examples? Brain spotting, hypnosis. Oh, there's Um, so many. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots and lots of different ones. where And so if they're listing that, that means that they have had specific advanced training. Yeah. And I will say there is uh, a trend also uh, in therapist bios or something to, to, they'll say, I am blank focused. Mm -hmm. Um, So a popular one would be trauma or attachment. Um, Those, when they say that they're focused on that, um, that can mean a lot of different things. So if it does say that on their bio, you want to kind of inquire as to what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, in some cases, it might mean that they are specifically f- actually focusing on it. Um, so they're looking at your attachments or they're looking at trauma. Or it could mean that they just incorporate that into how they conceptualize what you are going through in the mm-hmm. present moment. Mm-hmm. So you really want to give clarity to that and let the therapist explain. Don't you know? Try not to infer of what they might mean by that. Right. Um, you know, give both of you uh, the the power to to communicate what you are going about doing in that mm-hmm. in that session. So. Mm-hmm. And it is totally okay to go into therapy without having any idea or plan yourself of Mm -hmm. what modality you need, right? That is actually why you're hiring a therapist. Um, You're hiring this person as an expert so that they can guide you through your process. So you don't necessarily need to come in saying, oh, I know that I need EMDR. That's for sure what I need. Or I know I need an attachment focus because I have attachment rupture in my history. You don't have to know any of that. You come in with yourself, with your story, and your therapist is there to help you with that. But a lot of people and a lot of questions that we get um, are about these specific things that people are you know, reading about, hearing about, hearing stories from friends and family. And so it's just helpful to kind of have a little bit of insight into how to have those conversations well. Yeah. I want to make one comment on insurance. I know we've briefly touched on that, but... Not all therapists accept insurance, or if they do, they may only be paneled with certain companies. Um, ask them what, you know, if your insurance is covered with them and kind of explore that beforehand. But then also know that if they don't accept insurance, you can request something called a super bill um, where they give you a printout of the sessions and you can file your own insurance. You yeah. may not get the 100% reimbursement on that, but a percentage of it. So there's ways to still get insurance support, even if that therapist yeah. isn't part of um, the panel. The network. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if um, some of these practical concerns are uh, things to keep in mind, sort of on the front end, right? Um, when you're doing your googling, yes. be thinking about these things. Yes, <laughs> um, but know that that is not not even really the main part that we're yeah, wanting to talk yeah. to you about in this episode. So we kind of put it at the front because it's it's somewhat uh, sort of like paperwork to begin, you mm-hmm. know, and, and, and once we get that fit, you know, if you do all of that kind of preliminary research and you come up with, you know, two or three therapists that maybe fit your available criteria, 
Well, then we shift into kind of a relationship or attunement uh, focused screening. This is a part that unfortunately gets left out a lot. Mm-hmm. And clients will commit to therapy with somebody that they really haven't asked their bodies, you know, their, their own kind of internal space. They haven't checked in and said, do I feel safe in, with this around person. this person? Yeah. Or do I feel mm-hmm. like they see me? Mm-hmm. Do I feel like I can be myself? Mm-hmm. Do I feel like uh, I don't have to perform when I'm in front of them? Mm-hmm. Um, and especially when you first present to therapy, you know, having no experience with it, you may not even know to ask those questions. Right. And that's part of what we want this episode to be, is to, to encourage you in this process of finding a therapist to don't forget to check in with yourself. Mm-hmm. Your body's wisdom is going to tell you if that person is safe or not. I don't know if you guys want to say more on that. Yeah, I think that because a therapeutic relationship is one of the strangest hybrid relationships that people mm-hmm. engage in. It is a combination of a doctor relationship and a best friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like right smack in the middle. Yeah. And that particular combination means that we don't have a template for this. So when you first start out in a therapeutic relationship, um, you're not you're not going to know how to navigate that as easily because we don't do those kinds of relationships. I think some people may have had that kind of relationship with maybe a coach, a teacher, a professor, some kind of mentor. But even beyond that, like there's something about it that is so unique and so different that most people don't have a template when they're coming in. Um, and so I think that's just something to kind of keep in mind is that this is going to be a brand new relational experience for you if you've yeah. never done it before. I love that posture. And I think it is, you know, speaking from a therapist perspective, I think it is for the therapist too. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if they, it, you know, it just depends on if they're willing to admit that as well. Yeah. There's some of that, you know, security seeking behavior for a therapist to say, I know exactly what to expect going in. But yeah. the truth of it is, is every relationship is brand new. Mm-hmm. And so for you know, speaking to you as the client, um, that's an exciting process for both of you. Mm-hmm. You get to experience a brand new relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can really be a hope-filled process as opposed to going to, you know, a doctor and saying, well, here's my problems, give me the solution, okay, I gotta go. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's kind of the shifting that we want to, to take place um, mm-hmm. as we get ready to go to therapy. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of times when we're, you mentioned like, check in with our body and our internal space of what's what is it saying about this therapist or this process this relationship sometimes our bodies get activated at just the idea of therapy and so it wouldn't really even matter who's sitting Mm -hmm. on the other side of that the room but the idea of doing this or being vulnerable already creates a state of discomfort Mm -hmm. or guardedness, um, tension, tension, yeah. And those are what you're saying activation is, is that tense, yeah, that discomfort. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that activation is a word we're going to continue to use. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah, practically that can feel like feeling like fidgety, feeling nervous in my body, hot. Yeah. Heart rate increasing. Um, Heart rate Muscles are really tense. Yeah. Just imagine how you feel when you go to the dentist, basically. Everybody's (laughs) If you don't like your dentist. Yeah. Yeah, I really love my dentist. I mean, I like like my dentist. I don't like being in the dentist's chair. There's a a difference. Most people feel activated in that chair. Or right before you're taking a test. Yes. Yes. Exactly. But that, that, particular check-in of like just realizing that everybody's going to feel activated going into your first therapy session also 
every therapist feels a little bit activated when meeting a brand new client because we know what a big deal that is for you guys. Mm-hmm. Like when, when a new client is coming in, like what I want to say is, oh my gosh, what do you need right now? Like yeah. how, how can I take care of you? But, you know, that's not super professional, so we don't do that. Um, <laughs> but there there is this feeling of like we know how hard this is. Yeah. We know what it takes to bring yourself into a brand new environment with a person that you don't know and know very little about. And if it's your first time in therapy, about to do something that you've never done before. Never done. With the intention of talking about some of the hardest things in your life. And how to heal from it. Yeah, like that's a big deal. Yeah. It's a big, big deal. Yeah. And so I think just giving yourself a lot of compassion for even mm-hmm. taking the step of going to your first session is tremendous. Monumental. Mm-hmm. And if you don't feel like your therapist holds that same consideration of what that experience is for you, that's missed attunement. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk more and more about attunement, but that's that means they're not sitting with you where you're at. They're not feeling you. Yeah. They're not connecting with you. And that's what we're really seeking for right. good therapy to happen. Between both people in the room, there needs to be a shared experience and a totally. shared feeling. A connection. A connection happening. Yeah. So if you're in that space of, I'm feeling anxious about this and uncertain and overwhelmed, and I sit in that and I don't feel like my therapist sees me yeah. or gets that or can meet me there, um, I would first recommend like sharing that feeling with them and Absolutely. seeing if then they can step into that space yeah. and hear you in yes. saying that. Of, mm-hmm. Oh, you know, attending to it, kind yes. of of saying, "Oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean for that to happen." Or yeah, mm-hmm. if it's met with resistance, that's a different thing. But Absolutely. yeah, sometimes it may just be the therapist doesn't know uh, where you're at in your process. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you sharing where you're at and f- saying, "I'm feeling activated right now," mm-hmm. that can be so helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it establishes a, you know, sort of sets the bar for how you're going to be with that therapist. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a really helpful thing. And I think that first session is a, a time when, if that can be the focus, the attunement between the therapist and the client and feeling that and sensing how does my body experience this space, this mm-hmm. person, this whole experience, that focus gives you a lot more information about whether this is going to be a good fit in the long run rather than a first session being um, a download of your whole life story Um, which can happen and sometimes uh, you know when you're first coming in as a client there's sort of this feeling of like oh I have to tell you my life story Mm -hmm. I have to tell you all the bad stuff that's happened to me justify why I'm here yeah, yeah and explain you know why why I think I need therapy um, from the therapist's perspective, while we love hearing those stories, there's also a little bit of concern on our part of what that does to you as yeah. the client. Because when we tell our stories, our body feels with that story. It's right there. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I've had a lot of clients come in, sit down. Hi, nice to meet you. Let me tell you about the trauma that happened when I was three, when I was five, when mm-hmm. I was six, when I was nine. And I'm thinking, dear God, be kind to yourself. <laughs> like, you don't need to do this stop, right stop, now. We stop. have time. Yeah. Um, and the reason for that is not because we don't care about those stories, but because we want that first session, really those first few sessions, yeah. to be all about you beginning to experience a sensation of safety in that space yeah it's actually that we honor those stories so much that we know how much power they hold right right yeah and we want to make that space for you to be able to take it as they come Mm -hmm. um, and not feel like despite how uncomfortable and how 
re-experiencing this is going to be for me. I have to tell you right. everything Right, sort of this like, approach happened. of I have to just rip the Band-Aid off and let that my wounds hang not... out. Please don't do that to yourself. <laughs> Please don't do that to yourself. <laughs> I, I hate to even say this, but I think the unfortunate reality is what we're talking about here is more rare yes, it is. than that normal. One. Yeah. And, and I just think back to my own training as yes. a therapist and even my own um, professional experiences in my first couple of jobs as a therapist. I mean, literally computer in front of me or right. a packet of paper in front of me yeah. and going through and, and just yeah. so what happened? drilling the questions of yeah. what about this, what about this. And we're trained to collect a history, a thorough history um, of yeah. relationships, mental health, substance mm-hmm. abuse, trauma, sexual abuse, sexual physical abuse, emotional yes. abuse, yeah. all of it. So yes. that, yeah. And I think that uh, there's a movement, um, maybe in in psychology, of moving towards like focusing on the relationship primary and that attunement. But I, I know a lot of people are still practicing the other way, and they're well, and they're this, coming and asking questions. Yeah, this reminds me of. Um, one thing that I, I look for, you know, if I'm going to go do my own work at this point of my life, I really want to feel in a therapist an appreciation for what's kind of referred to as the art of therapy. Mm-hmm. It is not a manualized process on a chart or a treatment plan. Mm-hmm. Those are convenient tools to have sometimes. But if the therapist has an awareness of where I'm at and where they're at in relationship to me, I know that everything is going to work itself out. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the, the therapeutic relationship is actually one of the best indicators for lasting change mm-hmm. in the research. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it again because that is very important. The therapeutic relationship is actually one of the best indicators of lasting change mm-hmm. in therapy. It's not... That's across all kinds of different modalities. That's across all kinds of theoretical backgrounds, treatment protocols, everything. The relationship is what makes the change. Yeah. In fact, if that relationship is not there, it almost doesn't matter which modality you use. It is likely yep. to be ineffective. That's right. And, and potentially Perhaps even worse. damaging. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. When you, I think when you look at large agencies or large companies to function in the way they do, they have to have um, paperwork and they have to have something more rigid and treatment plans to track things. More standardized. Yes. And so not to say that's all bad because you may move through that and then really find that therapeutic connection um, and the attunement that you really need. But that may be something to keep in mind that if it's really important to you, that you might look for smaller practices and more independent mm-hmm. people. They may be able to meet your needs more in that way than the larger companies or larger agencies. You may have to tolerate a little bit more of the business side of it first, first. like a, an intake was yes. what we call it. But you come in and you fill out all the paperwork and you answer you all the questions, story. Yep. develop a treatment yep. plan, and then therapy starts. Yeah. So... And, and even if you are in a, a more agency-style setting or a bigger company where they do have that initial intake, it is 100% okay at any point in that process to say, I would rather talk about that down the road. Yeah, that's a great Absolutely. point. Absolutely. So you don't gonna, have to answer yeah, their questions. So if, yeah. they, if they ask you, do you have abuse in your history, um, and they're going to try to be making a treatment plan based on that, and you say, yes but I don't want to talk about that at this point, then in your treatment plan, what they can do is simply say, 
yes, this is there. And the first step of treatment is to increase a sense of safety so that you can start to share about that. Yes. So you're not, you're not, you know, causing them an inconvenience by not sharing right away. Um, and so just giving yourself permission to go at the speed that is going to work for you, um, even if you are being asked those questions, know that it's totally okay to, to mm-hmm. wait till later and advocate for yourself. Yeah, and that's making me think to just reiterate that it's your process. Yes. It, it doesn't matter, you know, what the therapist is used to, what they're expecting. This is your thing. Mm-hmm. It is all about you. This is one of the only places on earth <laughs> that you actually get to go in and know that it's all about yes. you and your process. Mm-hmm. The therapist then, and that's why we talk about this podcast as a guide to your healing journey. Because really all it is is just a wise person who's been on the journey before. Right. That's mm-hmm. what your connection with the therapist is. It's it's not somebody who has the steps to heal you. Right. It's somebody who's going to go along that journey with you. Right. Yeah, and I think, you know, there's some some helpful reflecting questions that you can ask yourself after those, you know, that first session, the first couple of sessions to kind of check in and see, like, how did that go? Is this a good fit? Um, And I think one of the best questions is, how do I feel right after my session? Like, when I get in my car and I'm tempted to, like, look at my phone to see if anybody texted me while I'm in there. Before I do that, <laughs> I mean, what? We don't sit there? No, I'm just, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, that's what we all do. Definitely. Yes. 100%. 100%. <laughs> like, I just leave a meeting, and so this is yeah. the standard. Calls, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so before, before we kind of get into the rest of our day, taking even 30 seconds to a couple of minutes to just tune in and notice, when I walked out of that room... Did it feel, uh, do I feel better than when I went in? Does my body feel more relaxed? Um, If we did talk about hard stuff, maybe I still feel that in my body a little bit. But did I feel seen and heard Mm -hmm. and held in that space? Partnered with while I shared that hard stuff. Um, And so do I have that sensation of, oh, that was hard work, but so worth it, right? That can be a really good indication as well. And that release. That release and relief. Yeah, yeah. so I think that can be a really good question. Like, how, how do I feel after yeah. I walk out of that session? Yeah, and if the the answer to that question is no, th- that is a very delicate space because mm-hmm. the therapist could be functioning in a different uh, emotional uh, kind of place than you are at that moment. So that is something that you definitely want to bring back to the therapist, mm-hmm. um, if at all possible, of mm-hmm. experiencing what we call misattunement, as Jen mentioned earlier, of, you know, that didn't end the way that I needed it to. Mm-hmm. I still had more processing or I still had more that was coming up for me. And it kind of felt like we kind of just had the rug pulled out from under us. Mm-hmm. That is very precious information to share with your therapist because that's another opportunity for them to connect with you on an emotional and relational mm-hmm. level. Okay, so I feel like this would be a really great place for some stories. stories. Does anybody have like a misattunement and repair story? With a client or as a client? Well, either way. Mm -hmm. I have to think about it. So I'll share one. I I love telling stories on myself. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So this is me as therapist having a misattunement with a client. Um, And I won't give details because, you know, this is someone's precious story that I won't tell. But they were sharing this story. And there was a point in the story where my experience of it is that she was sharing something funny. And because she was smiling at me while she was saying it. And so I laughed because mm-hmm. that's, you know, what I thought was going on is that she was sharing a humorous story. 
And I did not catch it in the session at all. And this was very early, you know, like we're just getting to know each other. And she had the bravery, like, I don't know how she came up with this bravery. It was amazing. She came back the next session and said, hey, when I told you that story, you laughed. And that's really not what I needed right then. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, wow. wow. Oh. So impressive. And she, and she she was able to own, like, I, I was smiling. And that's something good for you to know that, like, when I'm talking about hard things, like, I smile. I smile and it's a bad habit and I don't like it and I know it's confusing. But I need you to know it if we're going to work together. I'm like, oh, my thank gosh. You thank you. Thank you. telling me yeah. your Thank you. Yeah, right? Thank you. Yeah. And, and there's stuff like that that happens all the time at the beginning of the process where we're, you know, learning your cues and your body language and your coping skills and all of that. And, you know, we're unfortunately or fortunately, we stay human in the whole process. And so we have those moments where we just miss something. But in that situation, her bravery of sharing that and then my willingness to be humble and say, sorry, Mm -hmm. like deep, deep, um, you know, remorse and to repair in that moment and say, and now I know you better. Yeah. Right, and now I know when you're smiling at me in that particular way, that that's a time for me to get serious, to invite you into that space. Yeah, and it was so helpful going forward because she continued to struggle with that of trying to minimize her own experience and laugh about things that we should not have been laughing about. Um, and so that's just yeah, a quick story of like that. That kind of stuff happens to all of us. Yeah, another one that I'm reminded of sometimes. Um, at least for me in my practice, I'll, I'll sit with somebody and uh, I'm very focused on how they're, they're feeling towards me. Mm-hmm. And I actually talk about that a lot in my practice of what's going on for them in experiencing me as we talk about this. And uh, there was one session in particular where uh, this is, you know, uh, four or five weeks in to treatment with uh, a person. And um, I made a couple remarks. We were kind of dancing around a, a target that we'd been talking about before, which is like a, a, a memory of theirs that was really significant. And they uh, feel that it has uh, kind of been working itself out in different patterns over mm-hmm. the years. And uh, we had this kind of bantery relationship mm-hmm. back and forth. And uh, I kind of just danced a little bit mm-hmm. and I snuck something in, uh, mm-hmm. a comment that completely undid mm-hmm. her in that moment. It was exactly what needed to be said, but it was not time right. for it to be said. Right. It was um, a little too on the nose in the it, moment. That's yeah. exactly what she said. It was on the button. Yeah. And it. You found the button. And it was like she did the she she had the analogy of the little figure that if you press the button it falls to pieces oh, and it'll pop back up. Yes. Yeah. She's like it felt like that. Oh. Um, and so that is a, a strange moment for me because it was. My intuition was driving it. Of yeah. I see it right there. <laughs> you know, it was just and like just that's what. I, yeah, yep. and I didn't even really mean to press that hard, but yeah. it had happened. So if she would have not come back to therapy, right, I would have been like, what was when, yeah. what happened? You know, because in the session she really had well. a big release, like yeah. a huge emotion, and we talked about it, and she actually was able to stay a little bit longer than her time, and we were able to kind of put things back together, and she was able to go out. But still, I, I did not honor her process right. and how fast I went. Yeah. And I didn't even know that it was too fast until mm-hmm. she told me. Mm-hmm. The next session she said, 
have you ever she started the session with that analogy do you know those little figures that, oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. I was like oh yeah 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 and then I saw what she was putting together and I was <laughs> like, like oh, oh no. <laughs> I was like I'm so sorry I didn't yeah. she's like no it's fine you just need to know that sometimes you you know yeah. do this and it's it hurts me yeah <laughs> yeah and so I think that that's another moment where I'm misattuned and I thought I was doing the right mm-hmm. thing but it was it was way too fast for her. Mm-hmm. So. And the power of a client being able to speak to that. Yes. Rather than if it's a missed moment to connect with don't. them, sometimes we don't recognize it as right. a therapist. The client, I'm thinking of, um, oh, I still even just hate this, this memory. But so she was a brand new client, would have been our very first session together. And um, I am typically very prompt and on time between sessions and getting from one to the next. But I had a client who I just got lost in the session with. Like we were very deep and I totally lost track Mm -hmm. of time Mm -hmm. and uh, was probably a good 15 minutes past. Um, When the others would just start. Yes. Yes. And this is like, and that is a downfall as a therapist to, to schedule too close together like yeah, that yeah. for that reason. Yeah. That's a learning um, curve. Yeah, but I did. Yeah. <laughs> and so I go out to get her for her very first session. And I, I really believe for every like one minute of that 15 minutes, it felt like one hour to her right. of like waiting. Cause it's first session. Right. Anxious. Doesn't oh. know who I am <laughs> coming in taking this step. And she comes into session so activated. And the first thing I did was acknowledge like, the, the time and she's just angry mm. so angry mm-hmm. and hurt but it gets coming out in anger and but she she let me have it which was beautiful mm-hmm. like she just let it out and I just got to sit there and not defend not yeah. say oh I'm a you know doctors do this we run over and yeah, you know yeah, like yeah. you should expect that or you know and I just got to sit in that and hear her and I didn't even get lost in my own, like, I'm so sorry, oh, I feel so terrible, so good, right? but just, like, you look really, really upset, and I'm feeling that with you, yeah. She was hurt, she felt like she she wasn't as valuable as the other clients, right. mm-hmm. so acknowledging that, and we really probably had way more connection yes. through that experience <laughs> right. than any other typical first right. session, yeah. and then after seeing her multiple times, she came back and she said, like, I see how you are with me and why you got lost with that other client, oh. and it mm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that was just healing for me to yeah. hear her say right. that. But um, Yeah, and that's yeah. that's kind of my takeaway in wanting to talk about the attunement and misattunement is that the, the goal isn't perfect attunement. Right. It's actually reattunement is the goal. Mm-hmm. So we, we want to have a relationship where it's safe for both parties to bring that misattunement forward and mm-hmm. say, hey, you really missed me here. Mm-hmm. Or I'm feeling unseen. Right. I'm feeling not safe with you. Right. That is such precious relational information to share, even though it's scary. I know it is to think you're oh, going to yeah, correct. There's a lot of people that are yeah. thinking right now, I could never, ever do that. Because you think you're correcting your therapist right. or, or you right. know, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. But that is so important because they're human mm-hmm. and they're trying their best to help you in the place that they are. But we get dysregulated too. Mm-hmm. And we get lost, we get trapped, we get in different places. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just as much a, a part of your process as it is ours. So. Mm-hmm. And if you attempt for that repair to happen, you try to share that and it 
it isn't met by the therapist because we are human, right? Right. That can tap into our own insecurities, which bring out defensiveness. Yeah, because Jen, you could have said in that moment, like you were saying you didn't defend, but you could have. Oh, and the thoughts were going through my mind, right? Like I'm I'm sitting there like, I don't want to be the bad guy right now. So how do I spin this and change it and like, explain it and defend myself and... Um, but just but I have to set that aside, my own needs in that. And so if that keeps getting missed, that might be something to look at. Like, is this the right match mm-hmm. as a therapist? Mm-hmm. If, I'm, if I'm being vulnerable enough to bring this up and I still don't feel like I'm seen, I'm heard, or I'm known, then this might not be the right connection. Right. Totally. Right. I think another huge piece of it is at the beginning, there there needs to be a lot of focus on a sense of hope for healing. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things that I, and this may be my bias, but if you're anything like me, which there's a lot of people that are, there's something that happens for me at the beginning of a therapeutic relationship where I want to know that this person knows what they're doing. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I want to feel like you've got some, some idea of how to help. Like, there's a plan and there's a... Um, a focus yeah. and you know there's steps to follow or something Support. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah it, it's that feeling of I can relax into this relationship and into this healing experience it. because yeah. that's their job yeah. mm-hmm. I don't have to figure out how to get from A to B I'm willing to do the work I'm willing to show up but this person is going to guide me and say come this way yeah. um, and so I think that that's another piece of that puzzle is you don't have to go in and talk for an hour and leave wondering if it did anything, mm. right? Like, there, it's okay to ask questions like, so what do you think we need to do about this? Yeah. Where do you think we should go from here? Absolutely. How would you address X, Y, Z? Um, those kinds of questions are like a lovely open door to a therapist yeah. where we get to lean in and go, well. Thank you. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> think we should do this is so exciting yes um and so i think you know just having permission to ask out loud those questions that you have about the therapeutic process don't think that you're not allowed to talk about the process in the process even the why yeah of why are we doing what Mm -hmm. we're doing Mm -hmm. that can be an incredible moment for um if you if you're not seeing the results that you want to as the process unfolds that's absolutely on the table to talk about Um, or even if you're just curious, I know that I, I mean, that's kind of how I found therapy as a practice was I, I was fascinated by what was going on in the room. And so I asked and they explained and I said, Oh my God, yeah, this is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, And there's so much to it. It's way more than talking. So much more than talking. It's just endless. Yeah. 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 I think for my daughter, seeing a therapist, one of the most hopeful things her therapist said when they were first discussing her treatment was, I know exactly what we can do. And it wasn't oh, like in a very yeah. like dismissive, frivolent way, but it was very hope filled. Yes. Yeah. And for my 15 year old who was thinking like, well, this could never be fixed. Like life. Oh. Yeah. It was like, I know exactly what we can do. I've got a plan. And that was just like so energizing yeah. for her and mm-hmm. left that session. Like she knows Feeling exactly good. what we're going to do. Like, I don't. But I that's yeah. okay. Yeah. Take yes. the wheel. Yeah, that's why yeah. I hired someone. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Well, one last thing that we kind of wanted to talk about is, you know, the, the other version of being activated in a session um, that has way less to do with the therapist. And that's what we call triggering. And triggering is really just a word that we use to describe when we're having some kind of emotional response to something that's happened in our environment. But the response is not 
because of that thing in our environment. It's because of something we've previously experienced that is very, very similar. Yeah. So the easiest example of this is military veteran, you know, was overseas, come back home, car backfires, sounds a whole lot like a bomb going off, and their body reacts as if there's a bomb, even though it's a car. They were triggered by the car, but the actual issue that needed to be addressed was their experience around bombs. Um, and we have a million triggering experiences a day as yes. human beings. Like we are hardwired. Yeah, 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 we're hardwired to respond to our history in that way. Um, and that can come up in therapy. So oh, you guys it wanna, does come up. Yeah, in talk about yeah. how that how you see that happening, especially at the early stages of therapy. Yeah. So a, as a male therapist, I'll speak to this um, as working with a, with a lot of female clients. Um, just the bare fact that I'm a man um, can be something that absolutely interrupts them of uh, feeling that sense of masculinity and then associating that with what has hurt them in the past. Um, and, and that I actually take great reverence in that for me as a therapist because I know that I get to step in as a, a safe and emotionally uh, nurturing figure to them. But it, it is so constant of we're kind of you're casting us as as a person to play a role that was actually there in your past. Mm-hmm. And that's not a shameful thing. Not at all. That is, that is your body trying to help you stay safe. And so we want to honor that, but that is absolutely something that you need to be aware of, that it might not actually be this person that's the problem. It might be who they remind me of yeah. or what they remind me of. That can also work in the positive. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm yeah. saying. You and I just yeah. had this experience. We were doing a training, and yeah. one of the trainers reminded us of one of our favorite professors, and it was immediately like, I trust you. I've never met you, right. but you remind me of Your her. Your smile's exactly yeah. like her. Yeah. so <laughs> you've got all the points in my book already. That's right, yeah. Um, and so there can be you know, positive triggering yeah. as well, but when it's a negative triggering, it's really something uh, to just kind of be mindful of, and you don't have to figure that all out, but once again, if you can share that with your therapist they can help you work through that mm-hmm. it could even be the environment itself yes. or the idea of being in therapy if you've done therapy before I hear this a lot with well, the last time I did it I was a kid my parents made me go and it was horrible and you know so I'm back in this environment and it's triggered all over again there's a couch yeah. and there's a person and they're mm-hmm. asking me You're questions yeah. Yeah. tone of voice yeah. like all of those things. So it can be the environment, the person. Yeah. It could be the smell of your the therapist's perfume or yeah. the scent in the air. Um, yeah, it could be all different types of things that bring up those feelings. So yeah. if you experience the strong activation in that moment, step back and ask yourself, what what is creating this? And before we assign it to being the therapist themselves or yeah. the, the therapy itself, yeah. but mm-hmm. ask that question. And you may... And that's a great kind of point that I want to kind of reemphasize because you may not be able to tell in the moment, oh, this isn't them, it's my past. You may just experience it as, I don't like this person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm uncomfortable. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. like it. So if that's something that you feel safe enough or, or, or uh, kind of regulated enough to share with your therapist, that's great. But if not, definitely having an awareness of that for processing on your own or with a close friend or loved one Mm -hmm. that, hey, I just met someone today and I can't understand why I was so pissed at them Mm -hmm. or why I was so afraid of them. Mm -hmm. Or why I found myself really wanting to please them and make them happy. That's another kind of triggering that happens with therapists a lot. Absolutely. Is that need to perform. Yeah. 
for an authoritative yeah. figure. Yeah, 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 because we're perceived as uh, an authority figure, and so if that's part of your history of I need to appease, placate, um, play up to these people, then when you're in that dynamic, that might rise up in yeah. you as well. Yeah. And so that's something to be aware of. Yeah, and we'll talk later on uh, that, you know, this is kind of just in the first meeting of the therapist, but we'll talk mm-hmm. later on about how, you know, attachment styles and things like that can mm-hmm. can really start to give you some predictors of what you might be trying to work out in, in your patterns in the present right. moment. So. Hey, this is all a lot of information. (laughs) We're pacing it well enough for you to be absorbing all of it, but we're just um, really excited to be talking about this amongst ourselves and with you guys listening in. So hopefully there's something here that's helpful to you. Um, I do want to share with you a project that we've been working on for a while that I think would be helpful um, to some of you out there. But at Beyond Healing Center, which is the company that we all work for, we do something called therapy retreats, and this is a three to five day break away from life um, where you get to come to our space here and just be surrounded by an environment and people that are really focused in on what your needs are and how you start working through those past experiences or those life stressors and begin your healing process. So we have our website at beyondhealingcenter.com and there's a tab there that says retreats and you can open that up and there's a lot of information about what we offer. Uh, We really approach everyone's healing process from a holistic perspective where we look at the body and how the body needs to heal as well as the mind. Um, So we look at yoga therapy, massage therapy, neurofeedback, Um, a lot of different services as part of that. So I just encourage you, if this is something that's made you a little more curious, check out the website, reach out to us and send us an email, um, contact us on our social media, and we'll be sure to get back to you and just kind of talk with you and see if this would be something that would be a good fit for you. Thank you all for listening in today. We look forward to our next episode with you and safe journeys, everyone. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Trauma, a psychotherapy podcast from therapists for clients about the journey of trauma recovery. While resources like this can be helpful, they should never take the place of or be used as therapy. We encourage you to find a trauma-informed therapist in your area to be your guide in this healing journey. Take a minute to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify, and we would appreciate it if you could leave us a review. You can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at beyondtraumapodcast.com. Thanks again for tuning in.